Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. I mean, beverages, watching a big game, it can't get any better. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Daily episodes of the GM Shuffle leading up to the Super Bowl taking place on Sunday between the Chiefs and the 49ers. We are going to talk about defense today for the 49ers and the Chiefs, what the challenges will be for both of those squads, plus the Chargers apparently moving on from Phelps Rivers, and Mike saw Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So we got plenty to get into here. But first... The Browns are turning to a young but familiar face to help turn around their fortunes. As former Cleveland executive Andrew Barry will return after a year with the Eagles to be its general manager and executive vice president. This is according to NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport, NFL Network's Mike Garofalo. So he's got 53-man roster control, youngest GM in the NFL. He's 32. The head coach, Kevin Stefanski, is 37. And he was the Browns' VP of player personnel from 2016 to 2018, which was when he was working alongside Chief Strategy Officer Paul DePodesta. So DePodesta's got even more juice now. Barry was the Eagles' vice president of football operations in 2019, involving himself in everything from scouting to contracts to strategy. And here's one note here, Mike. Barry shouldn't be blamed for the poor personnel decisions of Brown, who made 24 draft selections since 2016. Only five remain on the roster. Make me smarter. Is this the right move for Cleveland? Well, I mean, look, Sashi Brown was the guy that was making these picks, right? But it was analytical-based. It was all analytical-based. They brought Andrew Berry over to do it. And when you look at these draft picks, whether it's Miles Garrett was a great pick, but Corey Coleman, Deshaun Kaiser, now they'll blame somebody for that. But I think the essence of what we have here in Cleveland is a completely analytical department. And based on the drafts, when the analytical king – Sashi Brown, who really never was a football guy. I mean, Sashi Brown got hired when I was in Cleveland as a lawyer. He was supposed to review the contracts, and all of a sudden he became a football expert. 
so when this department ran it, I mean, the best draft pick is Joe Schubert. I mean, they picked him in the fourth round, the first pick in the fourth round, number 99 overall. I mean, that was the by far the best pick if you take Garrett out of the equation, you know, and then it's just a bunch of other picks. I mean, and who they passed is really remarkable. Wentz wasn't good enough. Deshaun Watson wasn't good enough. Mahomes isn't good enough. You know, they take Cody Kessler in the third round and try to convince everybody he met their dynamics in terms of the analytics. So for me, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. They have nobody with experience in the building. I mean, all the football guys, whether it's the Elliott Wolf, the Alonzo Highsmith, those guys are going to be sitting there saying they have no juice because the analytics are going to run this, and we'll see if it does. And who is going to rely on experience? Like, who is going to help them when shit gets bad, right? Like, who's going to be the guy, the voice of reason within that Browns organization that's going to say, fellas, I don't think we can do that. And I think that's ultimately what the biggest issue is. Yeah, I always believe in, in balance, right, Mike? So if you have a head coach and Stefanski is 37, I'm not saying you have to have a veteran GM who's been around for 50 years, but I like to have the balance of, okay, young guy. And then, like you said, Deepa Dest is very analytics-based. Okay, so then I want like a football mind who's done scouting and done lots of different things. And it's not to take away from Barry, who clearly has been involved, but the 32, I mean, that's eye-opening to me. And in a vacuum, I don't care if the guy's 32 as long as he's talented, he has a smart eye for talent, and he can figure things out. But when my head coach is relatively young as well that does give me pause the other part of this as we talked about is the fact that you hired the coach first and then the gm i mean it took the club more than 10 days between this hire and stefanski's hire so i just always find that odd when you're saying okay let's get the coach first and then the gm like what does that tell you about the power dynamic well and also you know you used the right term you said you want a gm with an eye i don't think andrew barry's coming in with an eye he's coming in with a computer model He's not going to trust his eye. If the model says this guy's no good and his eye says yes, they're going with the model. I mean, that's what they're based on. And this is all really, I mean, this has been one of the worst kept secrets. You talk about wasting air fuel on Jimmy Haslam Airline. I mean, Dee Podesto wanted Stefanski. He wanted Barry. That's who he wanted when, when they fired Freddie Kitchens. And this is what he got, you know, and they went through all this rigmarole and pretended that they went through and they got the best candidate. The reality of it is George Payton, was in this he interviewed twice for it but they couldn't make a decision they kept calling him back and asking him saying george what do you think about this and what would you think about that and then like they couldn't make a decision and so finally he just said f you he said screw it i'm out guys that's it i'm done like it wasn't comfortable for him to begin with but the longer he went down the road with Deep podesto and they couldn't make up their mind which is typical of this kind of organization they can't really make up their mind because there's really nobody who can command the brigade so this is what they get. Good luck, Cleveland, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it could be interesting as to what develops. The bottom line is this. They've got to figure out how to get that young talent on the same page, and best of luck to Andrew Berry and company. Other major story out there, a report that the Chargers have moved on from Phillip Rivers. Eli Manning hangs up his cleats, and now another member of that 2004 NFL draft class is at a career crossroads. According to Jay Glazer, appearing on Fox's The Herd with Colin Cowherd, the Chargers have, quote, moved on from quarterback Phillip Rivers. Nothing is official, but the report indicates the Chargers will have a different starting quarterback in 2020. This is not not a surprise. Rivers is turning 38 in December. He previously announced he was moving his family out of California and closer to home in Florida. Probably the Buccaneers are among the teams that are interested in Rivers. So the career numbers, you know, you're well aware of the fact he's played a ton. 228 games the franchise between 04 and 2019. 65% completion percentage, a franchise record, almost 60,000 yards, 397 touchdowns, and almost 200 interceptions. But 
What are you getting at Phillip Rivers now at the age of 38? And do the Bucks make sense, Mike, considering the travails of Jameis Winston? Do you bring in Rivers and say, okay, here's this veteran quarterback who I don't know if he's going to be like tutoring Winston or maybe he's going to play for the starting job. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, it depends, you know, so if they franchise Winston, which is what they're talking about doing, right? If they franchise him and then you've got to go out and afford, I mean, look, let's face it, Phillip Rivers ain't coming in for $14 million. You know, he's coming in for a two-year contract that's substantial. And even though you say, well, he doesn't really, his year last year, you could make the argument that offensive line was so bad in Los Angeles last year that there's nobody who could have played behind it. It's interesting for me, for the Chargers, that they've made this move without anybody that they feel like is going to be the heir apparent. Do they really think Tyrod Taylor is going to be the guy? I thought two years ago when Lamar came out, I really thought they were going to draft Lamar Jackson. I thought Anthony Lynn really wanted Lamar Jackson. I thought the organization wanted him. I thought they were ready for it. And could you imagine as they enter into a new stadium if they had Lamar Jackson? I mean, do you really think they're going to go into a new stadium with Tyrod Taylor as their quarterback? I mean, think about it. Awful. How could they sell that to anybody? There's not one person in Los Angeles that wears a Charger jersey. I mean, everybody wears Laker jerseys, USC, Raiders. I mean, those are the three teams that dominate the market, not even the Rams. So, you know, for me, it's going to be a fascinating move. I think if I'm Phillip Rivers, I try to do a deal with the Indianapolis Colts. Go back with Frank Wright behind a really good offensive line playing indoors on the carpet where I could control it, you know, give them some stability as they draft a guy down the road. They're going to draft a young quarterback. They've got the cap room to do it. I think it's the perfect situation for him to give the team some toughness, some leadership that they need to go along with Jacoby Brissett. I think that's the perfect place for him to play. Makes a lot of sense because, like you said, Rivers is not in a rebuild mode. The guy's 38 years old, and also he's not a backup yet either. He wants to be a starter. That two-year deal makes sense. Like you said, listen, you're going to have to pay him $20 million a year, so two years, $40 million. But you go to the Colts, a team that had playoff aspirations and behind, and then, of course, Andrew Luck you know, retires right before the season. You go with Brissett, who clearly was not the answer. So actually, the Colts does make a lot of sense. In terms of the Chargers, as you said, I mean, you're trying to fight for any sort of um, you know, currency in that and that market, and like there's such an afterthought. There, Rivers is at least one of the few known commodities who's been the face of that franchise forever. And all of a sudden, he's gone. So I don't know if they try to land a veteran quarterback. When I mean, there were some rumors about could they go after Tom Brady or do they draft a quarterback with a number six pick in the draft, someone like Justin Herbert out of Oregon. I mean, I think that's what they're going to do. I think there's no doubt. They could draft Tua. I mean, they're going to draft somebody who's got some stature. I think there's no doubt. They basically declared this. I don't think they're down the Andy Dalton trade road. I think they're going to draft somebody. I don't think, you know, I mean, for Tom Brady to go there and play behind that shitty offensive line, like I would tell, like, Tom, you can't do that. You need protection. Like, again, you know, you it's got to be the right team for the right fit. And I think that those situations are not good. All right, so we'll see what happens with regards to the Chargers and Phillip Rivers. Elsewhere, 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan acknowledging he's learned plenty of things about football since his days with the Falcons were unforgettably. The team blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, but he also said he learned a lot from Bill Belichick, who called him after that game. Shanahan saying, quote, it was really cool that he reached out to me after the Super Bowl to just to talk. I was able to spend some time with him at the 2017 NFL Combine, which I was very appreciative of. Anytime that guy talks, everyone in the world listens. That was especially true for someone like me who aspired to be a head coach. He has been great. It's not like we talk a ton or anything, but he's a humble guy who likes to help people. Pretty cool to know Bill Belichick is a guy willing to help a guy like Kyle Shanahan. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think, you know, really what is the story here is is Bill's willingness to share. You know, people like I was talking to a team in the league that was thinking about practicing against the Patriots this year and everybody, well, they're going to steal all your stuff. And here's Bill the next day talking about, you know, helping out Kyle Shanahan. And I think ultimately what he was trying to do, he knows Kyle's a really good coach. Like one thing about Bill, when you get into that respect area where he respects you, He's willing to share stuff. Now, I'm not saying he's going to give you everything because there's people, you know, that he's obviously competing against you. But the reality of it is, is he's willing to share because he feel like something you might say to him. He's looking for information, too. He doesn't know it all. That's how he approaches it. And I, I'm sure they had the conversation about control and the lead. And I'm sure he talked to him about, hey, you know, Kyle, there's certain times in the game where the clock is your opponent. And Kyle's smart enough to know that. And with his dad and with Bill, I mean, there's certain ways. That's what, to me, makes the Browns thing so really hard to understand. Because as this game is getting harder to win in, as there's so many variables within the game today, we are dismissing experience as it doesn't matter. We would rather have youthful vibrancy and mistakes. I mean... I can't tell you when I watched that Green Bay tape again against San Francisco how bad that was by an offensive staff. I can't begin to tell you how bad it was because they have no experience. When you go one for 19 in a third down situation against a team that plays mostly all zone and and isn't complicated, you know, you've got to worry about that. So I have a hard time understanding. And the only way you can get experience is through talking to other people with experience or have somebody in the room, and I give Kyle credit for doing that. No question about it. We'll talk more about the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan's defense when we come back. We'll preview the defenses not only for the 49ers, but also the Chiefs and that suspect run defense. Don't go anywhere. The GM Shuffle rolls on. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning, I'm checking the betting odds, I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health, and DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning, it's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy, I'm sharper at work, I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO-1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your your gut with Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25 shuffle. That's 25 shuffle to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle code 25 shuffle. The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. What a week we have. Sun up to sundown, college basketball conference tournaments all day long for your betting pleasure. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SHUFFLE. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only 
at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SHUFFLE. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And now it's time to talk defense. We spoke offense yesterday on the GM Shuffle. Let's start first with the Kansas City Chiefs. Defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo, a, team, a name that many people remember, Mike. Of course, what he did with the Giants back in 2007, that great front four, and then rode Michael Strahan and company all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, certainly has had his ups and downs, and the Chiefs rank 31st in total defense. Since 2013, no team entering the postseason had given up more points per game than the Chiefs at 26.3. But... They've tightened things up. It is aggressive, but the concern that everybody is talking about is what they do against the run. 26th against the run, 128 yards per game allowed, and as we spoke about yesterday, San Francisco's offense loves to run the football. How do you see this playing out for KC's D, and what's Spagnuolo going to do? Well, I think, you know, look, I think the biggest change, and Spagnuolo's done a really good job, but I think Brendan Daly, the, the defensive line coach for Kansas City, has made a huge difference in their team. Their defensive line's playing much better with fundamentals. They're being able to play the run. They can get off blocks better. They're using their hands much better, which helps. But when you go back and watch the games, right, and you see them, like the amazing thing about this chief defense is they make some few stops. But when you go back and like watch the New England game, like New England just really couldn't separate. There was ample opportunity on that tape to win that game. They lost 23-16. There was 26-16 or 20. There was ample opportunity to win that game, and they and they just couldn't quite get it done because they just didn't have enough juice on offense. That's not going to be the case with San Francisco. San Francisco is going to be really tough to play. And I think it's going to come down to how well their defensive line stacks up in this game, and they're going to have to control the run. New England ran the ball a little bit on them, and they weren't great. I think you're going to be able to run the ball. And when you look at the playoffs and you look at what they've done playoff-wise, teams have run the ball. They just stopped. This is going to be a hard matchup. for. This is the best team Kansas City is going to play offensively all year. And their defense, whoever is in the back end of their defense, they're going to have a hard time struggling to handle it because I think when you look at it, the Ward kid is not going to be able to match up. You know, even Breland. I mean, Breland's going to struggle. Now, maybe Morris Claiborne comes back, but on a whole, I, I think it's going to be really challenging for them to be able to hold up in the back end of their defense if they get protection, which I think they will. One of the key players certainly is Frank Clark. He's had four sacks in this season's playoffs more than any other player. And while the, the run defense is concerning, the pass rush produced 45 sacks in the regular season, helped limit opponents to just 221 passing yards per game, eighth fewest in the NFL. So if they can tighten up the defense, Mike, logic would seem to be that their pass defense certainly is better, and that's a, a better matchup against Jimmy Garoppolo. No doubt. And, you know, they've got to be able to not to give up the big plays. I mean, this game really comes down to both teams want to make big plays in the passing game. 
and they've got to do a really good job of handling that. I mean, they gave up four plays in the Houston game of over 25 yards. They can't do that this week. They gave up two against the Tennessee Titans. Now, Houston threw the ball 52 times because they, they got ahead and then they got behind so quickly. But, you know, when you look at it, I mean, Houston's offense, Tennessee's offense. Now, on this streak that they've had, everybody talks about since the Charger game in Mexico City, how well the Chiefs have played defensively, right? So let's just break it down. They've played Oakland. Oakland averaged seven four yards per attempt. They played New England. New England's the offense we know is not very good. They averaged 5-5. Five, five. They come back and played Denver, 5-2. They play Chicago, the great MVP Mitchell Trubisky. Then they play the Chargers with no pass rush. They played really nobody that could throw the football effectively. They played nobody that could really throw the football effectively with skill and experience and a sophisticated passing game. I think that's going to be the test. I think if you sit there and say, I want to bet the Chiefs because the way they've played defense the last six games, I think you've got to evaluate the offenses that they've played. You know, they lost to Tennessee the first time because they gave up big plays, but they also, Tennessee never really had the ball. This game, I think San Francisco will control the football, and I think San Francisco will make big plays on them. All right, the 49ers defense is spectacular. They finished second overall, 281.8 yards per game allowed. And obviously with Robert Saleh, their defensive coordinator, they allowed just 15 points per game in the postseason. They gave up just 19 per game in the regular season. So you're under 20 for the year, and you're doing even better by about 25% come playoff time. And let's talk about Nick Bosa. Nine sacks in the regular season, another three in the playoffs. We knew this rookie pass rusher certainly had to – a lot of name recognition with his last name of Bosa, but it's not only Nick. He's also got fellow D-lineman Arik Armstead, DeForest Buckner. They've combined for 17 and a half other sacks. So this front four for San Francisco, Mike, they are ferocious for good reason. If you believe the Niners are going to win, you're really confident in that defensive line. Yeah, you're confident that they're going to play. Now, here's the thing I think people have to understand. Sure, you know, People are giving shit for Sherman for, for he doesn't play. I mean, this is the way the scheme is. They're a zone concept defense. They match patterns, but they're a zone concept defense. And Sherman's going to line up 98% of the time on the left side where he always plays. That's where he's going to line up. And so Andy Reid knows this going into the game. The key has got to be, and if you watch the New England game, when you break down the game, I mean, New England played them pretty well defensively. They gave up too many big plays on critical down. A third and 19 conversion a second and 25 touchdown pass I mean you can't allow that shit to happen you got to keep the big plays you've got to limit the amount of big plays that the Chiefs offense gives you and you've got to force multiple third downs you've got to force at least 15 third downs in this game which means they're not getting it and the way they play defense look I think Andy Reid will come out with a really good plan but I think the longer that pass rush and if they keep Mahomes in the pocket keep them in the pocket and force him to not make a second play, they'll be able to keep this game in the 20s. And if you're Kyle Shanahan, the game's in the 20s, we can win that game. If the game gets in the 30s, then I think it becomes a problem. Yeah, you can already picture Kyle Shanahan saying, listen, ball control, right? Let's run it down their throat so that will help us with time of possession. And in terms of our defense, they're only going to be on, if, we, if we can be on the field 25 minutes defensively and keep Mahomes down. I mean, listen, we all know the Chiefs offense is a quick strike offense, but to your point, limit big plays, try to get them into some third and longs and don't let Mahomes' mobility beat you. Then all of a sudden you start to see a recipe for success if you're San Francisco. And for the Chiefs, you say, hey, we don't care about ball control. Fine. Our, our run defense will tighten up. Don't forget, they held Derrick Henry to 69 rushing yards in the AFC title game. So they are capable of having a strong defensive run game. And then they can allow Mahomes to make his magic and go from there.
Yeah, and I think time of possession, right? They lose to Houston early in the year. They only had the ball for 20 minutes. They lose to Indianapolis. They only had the ball for 22 minutes. They lose to Green Bay early in the season. They only had the ball 26 minutes. And what does that mean? I mean, basically what it comes down to, the recipe is if you're going to beat this team, you're going to have to have a lot of rushing attempts. Indianapolis had 45. Houston had 41, right? Detroit had them. Detroit was playing them as good as anybody early in the season. They had 35 rushing attempts. Green Bay had 26 when they played them. You're going to have to get the rushing attempts up at a higher level. And I think if you like San Francisco, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, you got to bet San Francisco and their rushing attempt prop because I think that goes hand in hand. All right, let's do it. Let's talk a little prop bets right now, which we'll be doing every day here on the GM Shuffles. We're putting out podcasts every day. 49ers Raheem Moster, total rushing yards. The over is at 73.5 minus 110. You know, it's always so hard to figure out who's going to be the back, but I think if you, again, if you like San Francisco and you think San Francisco is going to win the game, you almost have to take that bet. You have to almost say he's going to make a play and he's going to do something in the game. He's going to get yards because remember this. Kyle's looking at this tape saying Indy ran it 45 times in one. They only averaged four yards a carry. They only had a long gain of 30. Houston ran 41 times, 26 for long, right? They had 16 plays. They had five plays each, both teams of 10 yards or more. So they were just pounding the rock. They weren't like making explosive plays, but I think it ultimately that's what it's got to come down to. You've got to be able to control the game with the run game, and you've got to be able to run it effectively. And if you like San Francisco, then you've got to play the over on rush attempts. Patrick Mahomes' total passing touchdowns, over is at two and a half. I'm taking the over. I'd take the over, too. There's no doubt I'd take the over. I mean, look, let's face it. He he makes unique plays, and they throw the ball in. They're not going to power anybody in. They're not going to block this front. I mean, that's the key to the game. They're not going to block. This chief offensive line is not going to be able to block this front on a continual basis, especially in the run game. I mean, the matchups favor them inside particularly. With Ryder at center, you know, whether it's Wisniewski at guard, you know, or Wiley, you know, or Tardif, the, the other kid who comes back in, those matchups favor San Francisco significantly, just like the matchups of Tyreek Hill favor the, the Chiefs and the speed of Hardeman favor the Chiefs. But if you're a zone team, those matchups don't bother you. The thing I think the 49ers have to do to change this game is they got to play more physical. they got to reroute receivers within the zone. they got to jam receivers. Now, if Vinovich is going to call defensive in contact, the illegal contact, it could get ugly. But that's what they have to do. And the other thing is, I would bet holding calls. I got to think the Chiefs are going to have, and I don't know what the number is on the prop, but you got to look it up. I would say the Chiefs get called for holding two, more than two times. Okay, that's something to look forward to. Here's some of the more obscure ones. How many Super Bowl commercials will include a dog? Over is at three and a half. The under is at three and a half. You can make minus 135 over three and a half. I'll take the over. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love commercials with dogs in them? I mean, seriously, who doesn't? <laughs> Every time I see a commercial with a dog in it, I'm like, why isn't Bella in this commercial? Like, seriously, what, she's slacking over here. Lazy ass won't even go for an audition. I mean, seriously. Have a length of the national anthem. The over is 123 and a half seconds. That's minus 145. Under 123 and a half seconds is plus 105. We got Demi Lovato singing on Sunday. I mean, this is a tough one, Mike. Over, under on the anthem. Yeah, I, I mean, I and I promise you, there's somebody somewhere in this world who's researching Demi Lovato's Star Spangled Banner renditions and seeing how long time in it. You know, it's really interesting. And here's the thing, you know, you can get some inside info because they're going to audition. They're going to do the rehearsal of this. Right. So you might be able to figure it out. I love this one. Color of the liquid, Gatorade poured in the game-winning Coke. So the easiest one, red is at plus 150. But if you're gutsy, 
purple is plus 1800 like there's no chance purple gatorade no way no chance is orange not a color yeah orange is in there that's at plus 400 that's the third best bet so the best bet is red at plus 150 clear slash water is at plus 300 sorry then lime slash green slash yellow is plus 320 then you got orange at plus 400 i I like orange i'm gonna go orange all the way (laughs) I'm going. And speaking of dogs, though, as we wrap this up, but yeah. I thought the dog in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was should win an award. I was about to say, so you finally saw Brad Pitt's going to win an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. But that scene where he's putting the dog food out there, and then, of course, what the dog does in the climactic final scene, amazing. Yeah, I thought the dog, the last scene was powerful. You know, and this summer when I traveled to Australia, I read this book, Chaos, by Tom O'Neill, a guy who was commissioned to start to write like an expose on the Manson murders. And then all of a sudden, the deeper he got into it, he realized that the book, Helter Skelter, a lot of it was inaccurate. So he went over and he really tried to to change it because he had all this documentation. And Chaos was a fascinating read. So if you like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thought it was interesting how Tarantino shifted to the intruders coming in the other house as opposed to coming in the Manson house. Right, exactly. I, I figured he was going to go with revisionist history. He's done that before with Inglorious Bastards or Django Unchained, but you're right. This time you're thinking it's gone one way and it goes the other way. Overall, as a film, it's very nostalgic. I mean, real love letter to Hollywood. You know, Leo and Brad Pitt have great chemistry. I did find it a little bit aimless and self-indulgent. I'm not sure about you. 240 is a little long. Aimless was the right word. I'm not sure what was like, for me, I, I subscribe to the Robert Caro theory of write a paragraph of what you want this to be about. And I couldn't figure out what it really was about other than I love the cinematography. I love the era. I thought those were great. I I thought it was wonderful, but I couldn't really get the essence of what point he was trying to tell me. Yeah, as a screenplay, it was not one of his better scripts because you're right, it was very unfocused. Uh, We are always focused here on the GM Shuffle. Make sure you give us some love on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Wednesday, a brand new episode talking about the key when it comes to the coaching in the Super Bowl plus whatever news of the day comes along. 